Welcome to a brand new episode of Squeaky Bum Time. Usually I do the introductions. My name's Adam Carruthers. So today, let's spice it up and throw it over to Quiche. Introduce <laughs> our guest, good sir, please. Absolutely no introduction needed. We've got Philip Koku, um, incredible name in the game, as someone who has played at the absolute highest level of everything. And then we've got a goalkeeping icon as well, Mark Schwarzer, who has played, what, I, I think Adam just pointed out the other day to me, and I wasn't aware of this. I, I you know, apologize, Mark. He pointed out just how highly you're ranked in the all-time appearances list uh, for the Premier League, and that's absolutely astonishing. I think that's why Adam Carruthers normally does the intros. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be on occasion. But yeah, I mean, there's only seven players in the Premier League who have more appearances in that competition than you do. It's a tremendous record to have, and we're absolutely honoured to have the both of you sitting here. And the whole reason you're in Malaysia, and I've been saying this a few times, it's mm. rare that we have a player or former player who hasn't actually played in the Premier League in the mm. studios with us is because of the World Cup. Yep. Not very far away, of course. Mm. So I want to talk about experiences within the World Cup. Some of the things that maybe we don't think about. For example, supposing you go in and, you're, and you feel you're the undisputed starter in your position and you get dropped. I mean, how do you react? How, how detrimental can that be to you? I mean, I, I'm well aware of what happened to you, Mark. You're giving me a glance right now. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> Let's look up the record. Start the first two games of the World Cup tournament, drop for the third, came yep. back again. Yeah. How do you deal with that? What's it like seeing your mm. replacement make a mistake as you're on the bench? See, the thing about that was I never ever thought I was undisputed number one. See, because if you go back a little bit further, is when the qualifier, we our final qualifier against Uruguay at home, and we're in at the end of extra time, and it's we're winning one nil, which is on aggregate one one against Uruguay. And I look over, I glance over the side of the pitch and I see the reserve goalkeeper warming up. So I had to double tag and then I, it started rushing through my head, trying to concentrate on the game and thinking, right, can't concede now because otherwise we're out. And um, the realisation sort of was starting to sink in that the manager was going to make the change. He was going to take me off for the penalty shootout. And fortunately for me, um, Brett Emerton got injured. Oh, he, got, he actually got cramps and he had to get taken off and that was our final substitution. So that was it. I was, I was on the pitch and I was staying on. So... From that point onwards, I, I never thought I was guaranteed. I always thought the manager was just waiting for an opportunity to replace me. He didn't like you? I don't think it was a personal thing. I think it was more about, yeah, I, I don't think he rated me that highly as a goalkeeper. And I think also th the reasons I've heard since then um, was that uh, he believed that the other goalkeeper had, because he's had half Croatian, his Croatian background, but grew up in Australia, born in Australia, probably had a little bit more of an edge when it came to playing against... Croatia at the World Cup and um, I, I thought it was I, I get that side of the argument my problem was he played about five games all season in league football and he played I think three out of the five warm-ups before we played the World Cup I only played one I played against the Netherlands actually uh, in, in, uh, in uh, Rotterdam which we drew one all and I played well on the day and I just thought it was really strange and every time he played in the, uh, the warm-up games he, he actually made mistakes in all the warm-up games and then he puts him into what was at the time our biggest game in the World Cup. And he makes a monumental mistake. What are you doing on the side of the pitch? I'm sitting there and I'm at the opposite end for the manager. I know, and I'm saying to myself beforehand, do not react to anything. Because the cameras are going to be on you straight away. So I'm just saying to myself, just be neutral. Don't do anything. Obviously, if we score, we celebrate. But nothing else. And that's what I did. <laughs> I just have to say, right? Uh... 2010 World Cup, Rob Green makes a mistake. We had David James here, and he's coming back again. Uh, he was saying, him, I think it was Joe Hart on the bench. Jay Roger said, don't react. 
do not do anything because when an England goalkeeper that position it's always under scrutiny so I think it, it's very much relatable then who was the coach at the time? Uh, Gus Hiddink yeah so but it was it was all the way through I, I always felt that he had his real favourites there were about five or six players in the squad that he that he absolutely loved and could do anything they could do no wrong effectively <laughs> and then the rest were he played with people's minds he messed with people a lot and that was the hard thing for us in hindsight, I mean, I've seen him subsequently, and he actually said to me, he was joking afterwards and said it to me, this is actually only a couple of years ago, and he said to me, I've only made a few mistakes in my career as a manager, and he goes, one of them was replacing you for that game against Croatia. Oof. And this is like, we're talking, you know, what was it, 12, uh, 13, 13, 14 years later? So, look, fair play to him, and, and I, I said, you know, I don't know what, I, I can't remember what I said anymore. I, I thought it was quite awkward. I didn't know what to say. <clears throat> Have you dealt with a situation like this, Philip, in the middle of a, of a tournament that's as big as the World Cup, either being dropped or watching a teammate drop that you, you know, you probably disagreed with that decision, seeing coaching decisions that made you go like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Well, well of course, in some, in some games, uh, you have always a lot of competition if you play in a national team of, of, of the Netherlands. You know you have to perform really good as a team but also in your role within the team yeah and sometimes a coach can make a different decision look a player wants to play every game especially when you play in the world cup but sometimes he needs a different quality in the, in the pitch or a different style of a player and that's it it's it, it can be hard on you but you know all the cameras will be faced on you especially if it's a big player uh, cameras on the bench, uh, reaction, what is he laughing or not, or so. Just be a professional, be part of the team. Something you wish that another player would do the same. <coughs> if you would play, he would support the team and wait for his opportunity. It's easier said than done. That's why in some tournaments, the dynamic in a team can be worse than another tournament because a few can't accept their position and to, to, to achieve a maximum result you need everybody in the same direction and sometimes you have to put your ego aside but it, it, can, it can be of course individually can be tough on you but what about clicks I mean when you look at the Netherlands I think you can see there would be a potential for clicks forming within there was that stage where some of the Barcelona players were Dutch and then you have the Ajax players or <coughs> Feyenoord or PSV, whatever it might be. Probably less so for Australia because you... We don't have it, no. no. <laughs> we don't, we don't. Actually, when we get together, it's like, it's just because we're so far apart mm. and even if we're still playing in the same leagues and different teams and, and there is a bit of rivalry between some of the teams, there's not that same thing, no. Because I can imagine that being the opposite within the Dutch national team and a, probably a huge task for a manager yeah. to ensure that the clicks don't form. Yeah, I didn't experience that in the national team. Never? It's, it's yeah, once, and that, but it wasn't, wasn't the World Cup. So it was in 1996, it was a Euro Cup in the UK. Actually my first tournament, so I was new and just watched what happened and tried to get minutes or in the, in the team. But there was like an issue uh, amongst the Ajax players. So we had like, I don't know, in a group of 23, 25, probably seven or maybe eight players from Ajax. And, 
it was not really working out well. I, I don't know exactly the details. And of course, that, that has influence on your entire team. Um, so everybody, it wasn't really a successful tournament. And then we had to prepare for the 98 World Cup when Hitting was the coach. So everybody had to sit together after the tournament to make sure that how do we go into the qualification of the World Cup and into the World Cup if we play it. And since then, I, I no, I didn't notice the difference if you're an Ajax player or Barcelona player or PSV player. If you play for the national team, you play for the national. You're proud. You're representing your country. And uh, so no, that was the the only time I think there was a really an issue inside. The national team. I should add that uh, they were champions of Europe just a year before that as well. So yeah. I'm sure that maybe ego driven partially as well to be so many members of the Ajax side. It was a big group, of course, yeah. inside the national team. And uh, but yeah, we showed later that we could play as a unified national team and, and put on great performances. You know, a, a couple of days ago, I was listening to a podcast where someone mentioned um, heading into the, the World Cup at the end of this year. It's very strange because this seems to be the one World Cup where more than ever, everybody seems to recognize every team. There seems, you know, with, with data available on almost every player playing at the World Cup, video analysis available, media articles, so much of content being generated on every team. You know every team, you know every player, you know every style of football that these teams are going to be playing. And I'm curious to know, how did you guys back in the days heading into a World Cup when you're facing a team from South America or Asia or Africa that, you know, players that you've not necessarily met before, how do you even plan to deal with, you know, the tactics on the pitch, the characters that you come up against and the styles of football that you find it very difficult to anticipate? I think for, from what I remember is that, you know, we... Each time at the World Cup or leading up to World Cups, the, the coaching staff had uh, a whole lot of scouts and it was literally people being there in person, doing reviews, doing scouting reports on the opposition. That was the, that was the only way, really. Um, they used people just in various parts of the world, if not sending their own people to go in there, basically undercover almost, to go and just scout on the other team, observe what they were doing. I, I know of even times where they tried to even sneak up and watch training. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that was very common. I mean, this whole thing, remember Bielsa with uh, Derby County and all this sort of stuff, that was normal. And that's why probably that Bielsa said it himself. I think he said, it was, you know, where I come from, it's normal. Yeah. And, and that, that's pretty much what you do. Now, now you have to all the, the data available. But back then, you have to try to collect as much information as you, as you could get. So for every game, and especially during the tournament, there were the, the scouts went out to, to, to analyze the opponents, came back sometimes with some clips or some parts of the game you could watch. But I can remember in, in 98 when we played uh, Argentina, the 2-1 last minute goal of Bergkamp. It was a big game coming up. And I remember Hiddink said, okay, we have the lunch set. It's one o'clock, let's say one o'clock. Uh, 10 to one is the meeting. So we are 10 to one is the meeting. This is a big game. We need, but in 10 minutes, it, 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 it was done. 10 minutes, that's... Yeah. He just gave, gave some pinpoints for the game. Uh, some confidence to, to the team. Uh, it's a tactic, tactical meeting. Uh, uh, just before the game, of course, again, he will talk. But 
sometimes you plan an hour, but he, he felt he didn't really have to do a lot. We, we of course saw images of, 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 of Argentina, we knew the players. Yeah, we won the game. So, it, as a coach or a manager, sometimes you need a lot of time, a lot of input for the players. Sometimes you do something different and it can work out as well. That's what Gus Hiddink said to us. When he came to Australia, he said to us that he, he, our very first meeting was like, look, I'm, I don't have a meeting longer than, say, 13, 14 minutes max. And there you go. The reason was, he said, firstly, generally speaking, people's attention span mm. is up until about a 10, 12 minute point, And then after that, you lose people and it just goes in one ear out the other. So he said, I will just do lots of short ones at various times. And, and it was exactly the same with us. <laughs> He sounds like a TikToker <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> Making short, short yeah. content. He would have been perfect for the TikTok yeah, generation. TikTok yeah, TikToker. He is, is a dream for that. Um, but that's a really good point because, and I've said this on the show before, yeah. I've done some conferences with Cartoon Network and other content creators. Yeah, they're a bit young now, aren't they? Cartoon <laughs> Network. <laughs> they're like eight years old or something like that. I want to start somewhere. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah start somewhere. But you're talking about attention span, right? Yes. Yeah. You're not going to get much more than two minutes. Right? Yeah, no. not, not even ten, I think. <laughs> no, no, two, two. It's the, they were saying, like, the world we live in now, right? When we were all growing up, cartoons were about 25 minutes. But people's attention spans have gotten even shorter yes. now. And that's why Cartoon Network make 10-minute cartoons. No longer 23-minute. Just because our brains can't process. Yeah. So you can imagine a hitting talk now will probably be like five minutes as opposed to 13. Yeah, you tend to... Because as a manager, you, you, you're thinking about all the details and what can happen or maybe will happen or a lot of scenarios. Mm. But to give all that information to the players, a few players you can give a little bit more input, you, you will know. But there are also quite a few. If you give too much information, pff, they, they get confused and they get lost. So better you divide it, some meetings maybe with the defense and, and, and with the midfielders and, and, and one meeting with the whole team, 15 minutes, 20 max, just to really get your me message across. And uh, yeah, maybe nowadays even you have to keep it <laughs> shorter. How long were your talks? I think 15, 20 minutes. But okay. I, I, on game day, but also the day before the game, so one, one meeting should, should be the, the opponent. Game day, you talk about your lineup and your own tactics. So uh, individual clips sometimes, if we had enough days before the game, defense, midfield strikers. But also, not only to give information, but also to connect with the strikers and the midfielders together. Because also now, yeah, back in the day, we, we, we spoke a lot in the pitch, uh, on the training. I think the, the younger generation, they speak less. Mm -hmm. So you have to come up with things to, to make sure they, they connect, or ask questions, uh, how they want to play, how they want to receive the ball, etc. So you try to make up things to create it. And I divide it in over more days, but just a shorter span. Uh, with Jose Mourinho, we, we would have probably four meetings before a game. Four? Yeah. Mm. So you, you'd, <coughs> have, you'd have like, the final meeting would be obviously the, the starting 11 and then defensive set plays. So how that starting 11 would set up for the defensive and then a, a, a offensive uh, set plays. And that'll be like literally 10 minutes. Each mini would no, be no longer than 10 minutes. And then you do, you do one on the opposition, you do their defensive stuff, their attacking uh, options. 
um, and, and then each time you'd have just short, and then we do, after that you'd do a, even a review of your own game, so mm. you do 10 minutes. If you just, everything was 10 minutes, and we do multiple meetings each week, and then the goalkeeping coach thought that was a good idea, so he did a goalkeeping <laughs> coach one as well. So we ended up going like five, six meetings before a game, it was like ridiculous. Well, even like in between matches, if it's a midweek yeah. game and then a weekend match. Sometimes he'd cut it down a little bit. Okay. Sometimes he would go, okay, we're playing so many games, so quick succession. He would just break it down and go, okay, right, we're going to just do this. You know, the set plays a standard bang, bang, and it literally goes through and go, right, there it is, bang, 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 bang. And it was like really quick. And then he'd go on to the opposition because obviously each time is a different opposition. Just a reminder, refresh if you play against them quite regularly, just of how they set up and how you need to set up against them. I remember watching, um, I think right after France won the World Cup, there was this documentary that came out. I can't remember whether it was on Netflix or Amazon Prime. It was a journey throughout um, their World Cup. I thought you meant the 98 World Cup. That's no, 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 yeah, no. That was not was no, 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 a lot or in a very um, extravagant motivational way and what was fascinating is different players carried the burden of motivating the dressing room before the game um, there was a clip of Pogba doing it I think before the World Cup final and certain other characters were doing it in certain other games and that got me really fascinated and what was it like for you guys at a major tournament like um, you know you, you're there in a camp for a month um, you're going through the motions day in day out there's a lot of games um, who is carrying the burden of motivating everyone, keeping everyone on their feet? Is it the coach? Is it different characters? What was it like for you guys? Yeah, it depended a bit who was the coach and how was the setup within the, the squad. Mm. Uh, I think you need both. You need some players inside the team who, who motivate or uh, Keep the feet down for everybody. If you have a, a, a two wins in a row mm. in a tournament, mm. still nothing. Uh, and yeah, you also need a coach in the right moment to to step up and and motivate. Uh, in 2010, I, I recall I was uh, one of the assistant coaches, uh, and of course we had to prepare some meetings and, and, and training. But the balance within that team in in motivating or uh, we just went qualified for the semi-final the players came in and a few players Snyder like oh no drinks no party we're not we we are here to become world champion so guys uh, play a game of cards or a board game and we go on so to keep the focus so they recognize you're at a important stage at the tournament that pff, if you're too satisfied if you if you are think oh we reached semi-final as two percent can make the difference if you become the world cup or not mm. and for Marwijk was a coach who was really good because you have a lot of meetings and many games the more you play but every time he he took out a different subject could be a play of the opponent or uh, he showed a, a, a clip of the young game 
which a great moment to motivate the team. Some of the only words, but it, it's a quality to every time pick the right words to motivate mm -hmm. a squad. And you need some players who know, okay, we came for one thing here. We have to make the next next step. So to keep everybody winning in the team, hey, keep going, guys. So that was 2010 was a good example. If you had to pick one teammate of yours, and bearing in mind you're also a former captain of Barcelona and the national <laughs> team, to motivate a team, <clears throat> who would it be? Which player would you pick? I think there are a, a few players who could, could really motivate uh, the team in different, different ways. Uh, Edgar Davids, for example, with his, mm. maybe not with so many words were more in his attitude, how he approached training and how he trained. He showed the team, whatever happens, will be there. The yeah. yeah, the pitbull. Uh, but you're also players who are more, more vocal. Frank de Boer was a, a leader of the national team for, for Quarter van der Sar. Different style of, 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 yeah, it's more a leadership group almost um, within the team. and. Uh, uh, Van Nistelrooy, he could be really emotional. So he was always mm -hmm. focused on himself in preparation of the game, but well, something happened or during training on the game. He was, he was yeah, everybody was like, whoa. Van Nistelrooy's talking, let's, let's sit down. And wow. So that interaction within the team is really important, I believe. And for, what about the Australian national team? Because Australians have a reputation for being tough as nails, not caring about anything. They have snakes coming at them and just catch it and throw it back out. Yeah, and, and I just want to make this point. It is astonishing just how good Australia is across all different sports. Yeah. It's ridiculous at every Olympics, the Commonwealth Games. It's, it's all across the board. And, sh and, and it's the ability to just communicate so effectively, I'm pretty sure that plays a fundamental part as well. Mark, you even look like Ian Thorpe from here, <laughs> a little bit. Anyway, sorry. I can't swim as well as him, that's for sure. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's part of the culture as well. Growing up in Australia, it's first and foremost, you come out and it's not about what school you're going to, it's what sport you're going to play, you know, uh, what, what education you're going to have, no, no, what, what, what sort of sport, which, which team are you playing for? Um, and it's, you know, there's so many opportunities to, to make sport as your number one actually your job as well to to make a career of it um i think the lifestyle the the weather all plays its part plays its part with the national team it was interesting you know we, we talked earlier on again about chris hitting and, and 2006 world cup there was no one within the change room our captain was mark viduka at the time so it was an interesting selection by chris hitting because mark was someone again who didn't say a lot um National team people probably could argue and go, look, he never was, as, he certainly wasn't as prolific with the national team as he was club football. At that World Cup in 2006, didn't score a goal, but his contribution to the team was, was huge um, in terms of his, his, uh, his movement, his holding the ball up. Giro, uh, 2018, same thing. Exactly, yeah, with, with us not winning the World Cup, of course. Yes. Um, but, you know, also I think within that group, even though we had a lot, a lot of experienced players, there was a sense of almost like, players afraid to say much because Hiddink was such an overpowering character and he was an authoritarian amongst the vast majority of the squad. So a lot of people didn't know where they stood, were afraid then to say something necessarily and everyone was just focused on doing their own job and Hiddink was the one that did most of the motivation and, and getting people ready for it. And of course he had a couple of assistants who did the same. After that we had Pim Verbeek 
So two Dutchmen, but very, very different in characters, very different people. Um, Pim was someone who was certainly a lot more approachable, someone that wanted players more involvement. He wanted to, he would talk to you often about the group and about how things are going and everything else. Um, and he was very much in favour of players having an involvement. So Lucas Neal was a captain, he was very vocal. Mm. But we had other very experienced players within the group, like myself, Craig Moore, uh, Harry Kill, you know, Tim Cahill. So everybody contributed to a degree. You know, everybody played a part in motivation and saying stuff to players and trying to help players along the way. I need to know, when it comes to preparing for a match, this is applicable to club or World Cup, and you're going up against somebody that you know well, particularly if it's, a, a say, a teammate at club level or someone who you used to play with. Uh, let's say 98 World Cup, you had played with Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo. Would you pull aside... The original Ronaldo, right? Original Ronaldo. Right. 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 Original Brazilian <laughs> Ronaldo. It's the original. The original. The OG, as the youngsters like Exactly. Uh, the proper goat. The proper goat. Uh, would you pull aside the defenders or the goalkeeper just to say, look, this is what Ronaldo likes to do. This is his weakness. Like, doesn't like to be turned this way. Did you try that? Did you... Yes. Trying to analyze that game and pass it <clears> to your own players? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's happened quite, quite a few occasions because if you play in a national team and you play Portugal and, uh, like you said, Figo is playing or Ronaldo is playing for Brazil, probably he will face somebody he doesn't play a lot against him. So to give him, not a lot, but of course you, you talk about situation or sometimes a, a weakness or a strength. You know what they don't like, right? A yeah. training. You, yeah. know, you know how to get under their skin. Yeah. So, like a defender, he's uh, tried to pro provoke or, or upset him or, or give him a, f a few tips in, in, in maybe it can help. Like, like I said, in, de in detail, in top level, it's, it's key in any game. Like 1% mm. one, 1 can make a difference if you win the Champions League or not. So, by helping your teammates, that's, that's also a team performance. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's why that's not only the team meeting, sometimes you just have a coffee and then uh, after the lunch and you talk, talk about different players coming up in the next game. So, uh, and that can be very helpful, yeah. And what was Ronaldo's weakness? I, I cannot find it. That's what he needs to know, yeah. Was it a PlayStation? <coughs> it could, yes, it was a PlayStation. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. May have been PlayStation, I think. Yeah. And David James. <laughs> yes, apparently so as well. There's something that you just mentioned, um, the details make a very big difference in these games. Um, yeah. you, you think about the World Cup, um, it's a massive stage, it's a lot of one-off games and <coughs> most players, I mean probably not in the case of you guys, but most players go to the World Cup not even knowing if they were going to play in any other World Cups after that, right? So this could be the one moment for them. Were there instances where you know players made certain decisions on the pitch that probably went against what was instructed by the coach in the moment? and it worked in the favour of the team. Do you guys remember that? They're thinking. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, thinking. thinking. Oh gosh. Not, not that I can recall now. Mm. But, mm. Yeah, it's, it's such a huge stage you're playing at. To do the, something different or unexpected or uh, the coaching staff is also mm. so so big is not only the head coach, you know, mm. like three or four assistant coaches, the video coach. And so I, no, I, I, I can't give a, an example. Uh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm the Hinnink, you wouldn't dare. 
<laughs> so, and that squad of players, even though like I was, I was uh, 32, I think it was, um, 34, sorry, I was mm. 34 at the World Cup. So no, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't dare. And, and then under Pim Verbeek, what we didn't do, we didn't follow instructions in the first game and got beaten by Germany 4-0, 2-0 um, mm. down and then made substitutions and one of the subs got sent off. Tim Cahill came on and got sent off. And instead of sitting back and just trying to weather out the storm and, and finish the game and say lose 2-0, we tried to get back in the game and then got beaten, beaten 4-0. Well, yeah. let's, let's say you're, you're not a starter in, in, in the second game of the World Cup, like 15 minutes, you come in. Um, many more games, if you do well, are coming up. So if you start doing stuff you shouldn't do, mm. then you probably know, hmm, next game, you're 23 players, mm. I probably won't play. If I do well, maybe next game I start. So I, I don't think a lot of players, well, probably there are examples, but because mm. yeah, not everybody's the same, Yeah. but it, it's, it's, with the Netherlands, it was unlikely. You also, the pressure is so big mm. at a World Cup. It's like Philip was saying, if it's the second game, even mm. the first game, the first game is, they're, they're all equally as important because like the first game is like, you get off to a good start, then you, you set yourself really up. If you lose the first game, you're chasing. Um, and then the second game becomes crucial. I, I don't think, I think everyone's so focused on how big it is, the pressure, and then you have to do your job. And you're not trying to think outside the box. If you're doing something, not following instructions is not necessarily because you've meant to, it's just something that's happened and act by accident almost, I think. I don't think there's many, I mean, we certainly didn't have it in my team. Okay, this is more of a human question. Away from the, from the football pitch, when you're at the hotel, the camp, the training ground, whatever mm. you want to call it, what is the most important thing that the players need to have just to unwind, to relax? Because for me, if I was a player, I would say I need a, I need a PlayStation there. But for you, well, you're giving me that smile again. <laughs> he keeps giving me the smile. You're, you're, you're quite a big guy. I can always see you in the corner of my eye. So what's yours, Mark? Certainly not PlayStation, no. no. I, I mean, you know, I think anyone playing in front of a monitor screen, it's draining. Okay, so, so for no us, No, no, for us, uh, I, think, I think in 2010 they may have been, but they weren't really used. They were there, mm. but it was mostly like pool table. Um, pool table is a must. Yeah, pool table, table tennis. Table tennis, yeah. Yeah, table yeah. football. That, not yeah. much else. Cards. Uh, cards, deck of cards, yeah. definite. Some, some board games. Yeah, that's about it really. Everyone else had their own movies anyway if they wanted to watch movies. Not, it's not like you sit in a room and everyone watches a movie together. <laughs> it's not like, like prison or something. Yeah, exactly. You're not eating popcorn watching movies together under a blanket. You <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> would take up most of the blanket. Even your side. Oh, yeah, no, sometimes. <laughs> But yeah, no, it was more about, yeah, it was more, it was also, I, I, it was more encouraged so that you would play something with your teammates mm. and something that more of you could play. And it was just about building camaraderie and having a bit of a, a raxing moment, switching off without being draining, too draining. Sometimes, sometimes the games of table tennis can get pretty serious. Yeah. 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 Competitive. Yeah. And you're like, hang on, whoa, whoa, guys, come on, like, yeah. relax. You know, I've got a game a couple of days time. You've got training tomorrow. Relax a little bit. Mm. Yeah. We, we always made sure that, that. In the hotel, there, there was a certain area for players. If you would want to play PlayStation, there was like a big sofa, there was a table tennis, or a, like a place that not everybody would stay in their room, play the PlayStation by themselves, but to go out to that room to spend time together, 
playing cards, playing table tennis, playing whatever, pool. Um, so that, that was something in the national team of the Nellis. Everywhere we went for a longer period of time, mm. let's say camping before the World Cup or Euro Cup or during, we created a, a common area where everybody would feel comfortable to go. Yeah. yeah. The other thing we always had, always, didn't matter where we were, what it was, international break, every game we had with a coffee machine. <laughs> I'm telling you, we had a coffee machine, as you know, like a good one as well. So, like it was, a, when I say good one, it could be just the pod ones, like Nespresso ones. Yeah. Had to always have a coffee machine with us. I, I, I thought yeah. Mark was going to say marmalade. Ma no. <laughs> I think the coffee machine wasn't for the team. I think it was just for Mark. Given how much <laughs> coffee he drinks, possibly it was also for me. And I was a very vocal in bring, making sure there was a coffee machine everywhere. Yeah. But there were a number of us. There were a lot of us actually that yeah. had to have a good coffee machine. Coffee is important. Yeah, yeah, and a cook. Yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, you don't travel anywhere without a cook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, as you do, of course. Uh, how, yeah. how much of football do you guys watch during the tournament? Because on one hand, I, I'm assuming you know, it, as football players, a part of that is also being fans, and you guys would want to watch some of those games, maybe for enjoyment purposes, maybe some of the times to see some of these players that you might come up against in later later rounds of the tournament. But also sometimes it's like you don't want to consume too much of it because you want to like be fully. Um, rested and keep your mind away from football. So what was that like for you guys? I think in many occasions went to the lobby or to the common area where it was a big screen with a coffee or with, with, with the guys and you, and you watch the game. Of course, you see details of a player, but also to, just to enjoy watching the game. Mm. Yeah. yeah, quite a lot of, because you spend so many time, uh, so many hours in the hotel, it's 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 nice to see some football and 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 watch it together. Yeah, we we I, we watch as much as we could, mm. and be that very much that you'd, you'd watch some of the opponents, you'd just enjoy the tournament. You're there at the World Cup. You actually could switch off a little bit, mm. not yeah. think about your yeah. game so much. You're just watching the opposite, the other teams. You're watching the, the the tournament and then going. Actually, we're part of this tournament as well. So that's why the coffee machine was so important. True. And uh, we didn't go under a blanket either, just in case you're <laughs> to double check these things. Yes. South Africa could be a bit cold at times. All right, I need to know. Champions within the camps. So when it comes to table tennis in the Dutch camp, if you had to pick one name as the best table tennis player, who would it be? For Percy. Van Percy. Straight away. You don't even have to think yeah, about that. Yeah, there was no flinching. I'm writing Van this down. Percy. RVP. What about in cards? Who is the card shark? If you had to pick someone to play backjack for the Netherlands, who would it be? The the Boer twins, Frank Ooh. and Ronald. That's because they got telepathy. <laughs> I'm telling you. They're playing they're with playing. us. Yeah. Okay. No, they were really, yeah, the the masters of uh, the card game. And pool? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I... Are you waiting for me to say? Was it you? No, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely not me, no, because okay. I like to play board games, card games, or didn't play a lot of pool. Mm. Table, table tennis I did, okay. but sometimes, yeah, somebody else is just a little bit better. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, pool, I don't know, no, no. In the Australian camp, table tennis? If I can remember correctly, I think Harry Kuehl was. Harry Kuehl? Yeah, okay. he was certainly one of the better players. Uh, who was the card shark? There was a few. Yeah, there was a few. Craig Moore was pretty good at it. Lucas Neal. Luke Wilkshire mm. was very good at it. Three names there. And Paul? Paul. That's a good question. Um, no, I can't tell you, Paul. Don't really know. I would have thought that someone like Mark would have an, 
unfair advantage because your reach yeah. is so long. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's... In, oh, the in the swimming pool. In yeah. the swimming pool, that's why he <laughs> exactly. looks like Ian Thorpe. I like, exactly. exactly. I like to sit back and watch. I just like to watch most of the time. I didn't really play that much. Uh, I played a bit of table tennis. Um, but I didn't play, I played a bit of pool too, but there's sometimes there's always a, there's always a pool shark. Yeah. So there's always someone that just blitzes everyone and it's just like, oh, I don't really want to play against you. Um, I, mean, I think Luke Wilkshire was pretty good at pool as well. He's a good all-rounder. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit of a shark. Okay. I'll remember this if he comes here. Yeah, he's a bit of a shark. <laughs> okay, do yeah. not play pool. With Luke Wilkshire. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. or cards apparently. Or cards yeah. apparently. The board twins. Yeah. Either I one of them. the World Cup squads that you guys have been with, either as player or even as manager in your case, um, Philip, what was the one squad that had the best camaraderie? Yeah, camaraderie, yeah, that's, that's... I think... 2010. Mm. More, more than the ones that you participated in as a player? 98, I think... It's a close call. Mm. Um, I think if if we would have in '98 a little bit more of the mentality I just explained with you know Schneider, mm. uh, with with Kyle Robin to be really only the only thing that mattered was become world champion. That that belief was so big, and every day they they spoke about it and pushed each other. So we believed in 98 we were good, but if we would have had a little bit more of that mentality, maybe we would have won the game against Brazil. So that's why I pick 2010. Mm. I'd, I have to say 2006, because mm. we were, like most of us had grown up together. Um, we were part of a lot of failed bid, uh, like mm. qualifications, and then 2005 when we qualified, and that group of guys, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that, 2006 group. When you get, leave a tournament, when you exit a tournament, can you bring yourself to watch the following games, the subsequent games, or do you just want nothing to do with football for a week? Well, they didn't have anything to watch after 2010. That was it, right? 2010 was a different story, of course. No, yeah. But as a no. player, when you at the previous World Cups? 98, we, we played the third, fourth place against Croatia. Did you care about that? No, that's why we lost, I think. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the demotivation. Ah, of course, you, you play the game to win, but something broke, so our big goal was gone. Did you watch the final? Yeah, I think we did. I think we did. In 2006, no, when we went out against Portugal, crazy game with 25 yellow cards, four red cards, mm. was my last international game. I was done. I didn't see any more games. Zidane headbutted at the right scene. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <Yeah>. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah, Italy won that one. Yeah, yeah Italy won. Yeah. Uh, could you bring yourself to watch yeah. matches? Like, yeah. how quickly would it take to? Um, I, I, I mean, I was travelling as well, but like I, after the tournament, because you kind of like, obviously, we never went as far as as, as the Netherlands did. Unfortunately, um, we went. Obviously, in Germany, we got knocked out of the second round. The biggest disappointment for us was we played Italy, right? And obviously Italy went on to win the World Cup in 2006. But Italy were a slow burner, so they started slowly. 
and even against us, they didn't play particularly well. And then Matarati got sent off midway through the through the second half. So we had all the possession, all the dominance, but not really, really testing Buffon in there and, and, and having really big chances. And then they scored like literally last kick of the game, they got a penalty. Um, so the bitterness of that because of the fact that I don't think we'll ever get an opportunity to beat a team as good as Italy ever again in a World Cup or, or certainly not in a long, long time because they were there to be beaten. Everything was in our favour. We didn't take advantage of it. You had Ukraine next, next round, mm. Italy beat them 3-0. You kind of go, right, you know, there, there were so many ifs and buts. They're those little fine the margins, details. the little details yeah. that you mm -hmm. missed out on. Um, you know, the game against Italy, we were, Gusedink was sure that we're going to extra time. So he held back one of, the, one, of, one of the substitutions that maybe could have done a difference had he come on. There was all these little things. But I, look, it didn't stop me watching any of the games. I watched the rest of them. Yeah, because look, ultimately as well, we know where we are with Australia. We know, you know, we're not necessarily going to win the World Cup, obviously, but we're going to, I think it was more about you're a football fan and I, I love the World Cup, so I, I watched all the games afterwards, yeah. See, you can never write a team off, though. There no, was, you can't. There was a team called Leicester that won the Premier League. Yeah, but it's not the World Cup, is it? <laughs> no, it isn't. It yeah, isn't the and, World and, Cup. It, and it, like I said, it was a sliding door moment. It was those little tiny, yeah. tiny little details against Italy that had we have beaten them, you just never know where we would have gone. I've just got this one question for Mark specifically. One of the things that um, when I speak to colleagues, a journalist from Australia, Obviously, one of the things that uh, there's a lot of frustration about this within the football community is that it's almost treated like a stepson sport of Australia because obviously a lot of focus goes towards um, the Aussie footy yeah. uh, over there. Yeah. So when you guys go to the World Cup, yeah. internally, is, that sort of, is there sort of like this um, you know, eagerness to sort of prove the entirety of the footy community that this is a sport and this is a team that needs to be taken seriously as well. The whole Australian community knows how big the World Cup is mm. because all the other codes even have a massive interest when Australia go to the World Cup. It's not the other codes' fault. You know, it's, it's our own fault, the organisation, the, the, the way that our football, our code's been running the country for so long. Of course, we've got lots of mountains to climb because you're fighting against big organisations, mm. you're fighting against media moguls who control all that, but also have a vested interest in AFL and rugby league. Mm. So that, that's your challenge as well, but we don't do ourselves any favours. We are where we are because it's part, mostly down to our own fault in terms of the organisation and the way it's been run over, I'm talking generations. And, and that's, that's the frustrating bit, because the game is, we all know how big the game is. Mm. It's enormous in Australia. Look, any, any country that, you guys know the same thing, you, you probably have the same frustration with Malaysia, for example. Liverpool come here, you sell at every stadium. You know, mm. we have the same thing. Liverpool came to Australia, MCG, 95,000 people. It's sold out in, in under an hour. They could have probably had three games there. It's a world record attendance for a Liverpool game. So the interest is there. People yeah. are there. People want it. Mm. But we just don't, we don't satisfy the appetite. To fill, to fill up on that point a bit more, even the Prime Minister had to come in and, and issue a statement because there were some issues broadcasting the World Cup. Yep. Yep. Not too long ago. I think that the Prime Minister yeah. had to say something. Yeah, because it was an outrage that obviously the, the broadcasting failed at that time. It was obviously going into to streaming digital. It was all new. And unfortunately, it didn't quite work out for, for a game or two. But after that, it, it was brilliant. And, and the coverage now is unbelievable. So, yeah, that's how big the game is. That's, yeah. that's how big the game is in Australia. And I, I, know, I know lots of people from different codes who love football. They played all the other codes but they love football. Mm. So, like I said to you, it's not that th you're fighting against all of them necessarily. Mm. It's, 
it's we we fight against ourselves that's the other problem we we have internal fighting within mm. states across the country mm. and we we implode on ourselves that's that's the problem we're not united we haven't been united forever yeah Final couple of questions before we wrap things up. I've always wondered about this because growing up, I used to read Match Magazine, Shoot Magazine, all, <laughs> all the football stuff, right? And it looks like every footballer in a team are best mates and all you do is hang out together, all 25 players in a squad. But I've come to learn life isn't like that. There are going to be players you don't get on with. And I'm sure that's also applicable <clears throat> to the national team. But have you ever come across a player and maybe you had to to have a word with them because they're being a little bit of a dick. This is a podcast, so we can say whatever we want in terms of <laughs> Well, of course, you will face teammates you don't have a click with or mm. they annoy you a little bit. Or, or arrogant, even. Well, yeah, just sometimes. It's not your blood type. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I... I even as a captain, this can also be done at club level at Barcelona. Well, I had or... some, I had some conversations with players when, for example, they act in a certain way what could affect the team. Mm. But on a personal level, if I wouldn't have a click with somebody, okay, I'd just make sure that on a professional level, if you train, you play, you need each other in the game, it's no problem. But I, I don't have to spend too much time when we're not on a professional level. So avoid is a, maybe a little bit too much, but yeah, you just spend the time with, with guys you like. Yeah. And that's in, in, in all the teams I've faced. Some, okay, the, 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 the click within the whole team is, is better than other teams or other years. That's the difference. But if somebody will affect uh, the team spirit or performances by negative behavior, expressions in the media, bad behavior on training. Yeah, well, I had a few conversations, yeah. As a player, eh? of course, as a manager as well, but when I'm playing in that team, and sometimes you, yeah, you have to learn a lesson to, can be a young guy, that's fun, funny stuff on training, or, yeah. and then the older guys are there to uh, give him a- Speaking a, to. A, a, <laughs> Or a blow on the, on, the, on the pitch to make sure uh, that he stepped over the line. I think that's a very important part of football, yeah, yeah. And it, on a, on a team, team dynamic. Even at club level? Yeah, look, I mean, there's been moments in club level as well. Of course, we have words with people. Um, I mean, <coughs> probably my, my last one I had was with Jimmy Bullard when he was at uh, Fulham. <laughs> Played a game, we came off at half time, we were 2 0 down, and both times his runner from midfield. He let go. He just, he basically almost stopped running. We came in and they scored. And um, came in at half time and Roy's coming in just basically, just like Jimmy. He's not, he's not even yelling and shouting him because Jimmy was, you know, Jimmy was one of those people that he kind of barked quite loudly. So people treaded a bit lightly with him, right? And then Roy said to him, look, Jimmy was your man, you know? And he was like, nah, wasn't my man. You can go get lost. In other words, he's not my man. He goes, well, we can show you the video. He goes, I don't care. It's not my man. And Ray Lewington walked in, he said, Ray, tell him. He said, Jimmy, who's your man? And Jimmy went, nah, you can F off, basically. I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking that. So he stormed off, ripped all, of, all the set plays off the wall and stormed Jeez. off into the bathroom. And I thought the manager's going to take him off, has to take him off. He didn't take him off. Anyway, I said to him, I, I said to him, I think it's outrageous how you've spoken to the manager and that, how you behave, disrespectful of the team, disrespectful of the players. I think you should apologise. 
And he's like, no, no, you can go. So it was basically like coming together. And I just said to him, I think you're out of order. So he wasn't there much longer. They sold him. Yeah. <laughs> because wow. it becomes a bit of a, it becomes a bit of a problem within the mm. change room, right? Yeah. Um, mm. Because you, you see someone speaking to the manager and, and disrespecting the players. In the end, it's a bit like, well, hang on a second. No, I can't go on. Got, that's got to be sorted out. So and the manager realized also a lot of players were against it against him in terms of his behavior, not against him personally, personally, what became personal, because you're, it's all about the good of the game, but the good of the group. And you know that if there's one in the group that is, that is uh, spoiling the car, then you need to, to, to act upon it. All right, so writing you off Soccer Saturday with Jimmy Bullard. <laughs> that's uh, all right. That's but if, all right. You, if, if you make a mistake, well, it's part of the game. Yeah. If, if, if you apologize to, 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 yeah. the, to the team or the manager or, it's fine that it happens, but it's important part that nobody's perfect. Mm. But if you don't do it, yeah, be careful. But goalkeepers are good at deflecting, not just shots. Yeah, but they don't catch it anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> so if they caught it, it'd be fine. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, yeah. hypothetical one, just for you, Mark. Okay. Who would you rather track back a player, Berbatov or Bullard? Because Berbatov, I'm a Spurs Jesus. supporter, so I used to watch him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Who would I rather? Face. Yeah. <laughs> neither, because neither of them would do it. It's like, what's the, what's the point? Like, they wouldn't even do it. There's no point even picking one of them, because, yeah, neither, they just two finger you, yeah, and I'm no chance. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Just one. That's not my job. <laughs> yeah. Pass me the ball. Just be quiet, keep calm, pass me the ball. That's what probably Berbatov would say. On a shirt. That's what Berbatov, well, he wouldn't even say it, he put it on his shirt. And Jimmy would just tell you to F off. Ah, as you do. As you um, do. Let's see what's the time. I think we have to, to finish things yeah, off because yeah. we are live in about 45 minutes for cool. the Premier League. Any last words? No last words. I think it's been an absolute pleasure having the both of you on this podcast. Um, I've been meaning to have this World Cup conversation for a very long time. And I think it's satisfied a lot of curiosity that was developed even as a young kid way back then. So thank you, gentlemen, for that. Pleasure. Pleasure. And thank you, of course, for watching. Uh, find us on Instagram as per usual. Stadium Astro on Twitter, on all usual social media platforms. We'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Goodbye for now. <laughs>